Thank you for being here. There's many places you could be, but this is the best place to be, right? Amen. Great seeing everybody here today. Thank you again for being here. If you're a guest, first time, please stop by our VIP booth. They'd like to chat with you at the end and just make sure you're welcome and enjoyed your experience with us today. Amen. So last week, Pastor Scott kicked off different, our series for the next couple weeks. And, and uh, how many identify? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> this is a series just for you. <laughs> so we're not obviously talking about being different just for the sake of being different. But what we're really trying to unpack over the next couple weeks is, is the fact that if you're really a true Christ follower and you have a passion to know Christ, you're just going to be different. There are things that you're going to do that are countercultural. There are going to be things you're going to do that is not how society functions or operates. And so we're unpacking a few of those things over the course of the next couple of weeks because I think it's important to identify what is it that makes us different. If you believe in Jesus and you're pursuing Christ and you and you've got a t-shirt or you've got the little fish on the back of your car. <laughs> if there's something about you that says, I want people to know that I'm a Christ follower, there are going to be things about us and you that are different, right? So we're going to talk about that today. And today, uh, you know, Pastor Scott talked about living differently and he talked about uh, our default settings and how we typically respond to situations. And, and he kind of unpacked that a little bit. And I learned, I learned a valuable skill last week. I'd learned some, I've, actually, I've actually used it since Sunday. And that was the phrase that he dubbed yes, uh, last week. You can do better. You can do better. So uh, I'm, getting, I'm getting thumbs up all over the crowd. The message stuck. You can do better. I got behind someone this week, and I said, dude, you can do better. He was... <laughs> so it's not often that you, your message resonates, but this one did. So I'm a changed man. I'm a changed man. You're no longer an idiot. You can just do better. Right. So that was, that was fun. That's fun. You've got to do better. So today's topic, uh, you, many of you would think, okay, uh, this might be the easiest topic to, to have a sermon about. And it's about love, right? That's easy. I mean, after all, in the Bible, it says God is love. How much easier of a sermon could you possibly get than that one? I'm telling you right now, right now, by far, the hardest message that I have ever had to deliver, I think. I think maybe the, if there's the top three, this is number one of the top three. And you'll, you'll understand it as we unpack this because to talk about the love of God is to try to understand the love of God and to try to understand the love of God is to realize how bad <laughs> I am at it. <laughs> it's tough. I've said this before many times here that we believe the message of the gospel is for everyone, and it is not hard. Christ made it easy for us to be saved. But now, living as a Christ follower, that's a different story. It's tough. There are times when it feels impossible, which is exactly why when Jesus left, he says, don't worry about it, I'm sending my spirit, because that will give you the power to do what you need to do. So we're going to talk about that. There's one thing I want to stick in your mind. Just like last week, it's you can do better. This week's phrase, and I hope this burns a tattoo in your brain, is simply two words, love first. Look at your neighbor and say, love first. You know the saying, uh, I think this comes, I work around a lot of military people, and it's a saying that kind of comes, I'm not sure Pastor Scott would know if this is originated by the Marines, probably. It seems like a Marine thing to say. 
shoot them all, let God sort them out later, right? That kind of statement? <laughs> Kill them all, sorry. <laughs> Kill them all, let God sort them Or shoot them all and ask questions later. What, all those phrases that we have, I want this one to be the new phrase, love first. That's got to be our go-to no matter what the situation is, and that's why I'm telling you, you just go ahead and put your seatbelt on because it's going to be a low, hard drive uh, from here to the end this morning. So we're going to start by, by kind of identifying uh, love from the perspective that Jesus gave to us. And, and he was teaching, and, and many of you, if you've, never, if you've not read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, the first four chapters in what we have, the New Testament, it's really the, the live account of when Jesus was on the earth. And you'll notice, if you've read those passages, that Jesus talks in story form a lot. He tells stories. Some of them are true. Some of them, he just made them up to make a point. He was a storyteller, a great storyteller. And so one story or parable that he talked about or told a story about was the prodigal son. You may have heard this before. You may not. But basically, it's a story of a, of a family, a dad with two sons. And the younger son, you know, he just was bored of staying at home and didn't want to do the things that everybody else was doing. He was like, you know what, dad? I know you're a wealthy guy and, and you know... I'm young now. I don't want to wait until I'm old and get my inheritance or you're dead and I get my inheritance. So how about this? How about, how about we do something new? How about you just give me my inheritance now while I'm young and can appreciate it and, and we'll just call it a day. How about that? So the dad does it. He gives him his inheritance and the youngest son bolts. I mean, he goes from, you know, maybe he's living in Essex. He's like, I'm going to New York City, whatever the case was. He went to the big time and he was living life large, really large. The Bible just uses a phrase that he was living wild, or the King James Version, I like that version, is riotous living. I'm not sure what that is, but they, he was doing it. <laughs> just living it up, wild parties, whatever. And then the story unfolds, and he runs out of his inheritance, and he did not make wise choices, and then he's broke. And then there's a famine. You know, to top it all off, they had a bad economy. The market crashes, and he's, he's a pig farmer. Or he's working for a pig farmer so bad that he wishes he could eat what the pigs are eating. Like, his life went from here to, like, here, and he was in bad, bad shape. And so the story unfolds where he's in the pig pen, and he's starving to death, feeding pigs, and like, you know what? What am I doing? I had it good at home. He's like, I got an idea. I'm going to go home and just ask dad to forgive me and just hire me as a servant because his servants are well taken care of. They're not trying to get food from pigs. So he gathers himself together, what's left of him, and he starts his journey home. And I love the way that Jesus tells the story because the focal point of the story is about the prodigal son, the young son who goes away, and about the father. And the father, the Bible says, when Jesus is telling this story, he says, while the son was a, a great way off or a far off. In other words, it kind of alludes to the fact that every day, Get this, because the dad didn't know when the son was coming back, if he ever was. But he saw him afar off. So I kind of get this picture that the old dude's sitting on their porch, rocking, you know, in one of those Cracker Barrel rocking chairs. I mean, you sit down in one of those, and the breeze is right, you're never getting up. So just, you're never getting up, right? <laughs> so he's sitting there, and I feel like this kind of this picture that he's looking all the time, just always looking for his son to come on. So he sees him afar off. He runs to meet him. And the, the son's got his whole speech prepared because he's blown everything. And the dad is like, I don't care about your speech. Just you're home. You're my son. I'm happy. The, the, I like how the King James says that he fell on his neck. I mean, that's a big hug, right? When you just fall on someone's neck. We should practice that. No. <laughs> I don't know what falling on a neck means, but it was a big hug. 
right? And he kisses him, and I don't know if he still smelled like pigs, because I don't know if he went to the YMCA and took a shower. I don't know. But it doesn't, it just, he's a mess, and the father doesn't care. And so he brings him in. He immediately reinstates him because it says it puts a ring on his finger. That is a signet ring, a family ring. Immediately he reinstates him as a son. They have a big party, and everything's great. Wonderful story, right? But what I would like to unpack today is the older brother. He's kind of like the subset of the story. He's the guy that no one really paid attention to necessarily. And Jesus is telling this story. And then just at the very end of the story, he throws this bit in. And so let's jump into the middle of the story or towards the end of the story. Luke chapter 15. The older brother became angry because he comes in from working, doing all of his responsible things to do. He comes in and he finds a party happening. And he's like, Asking one of the servants what's going on. They're like, well, your brother's back. Your dad's lost his mind. We're having a big time. You should come. I'm at the party. Like everybody's at the party. And he's angry and he refuses to go in. So the father walks out and pleads with him. It's just understand this story. It's amazing. He's pleading with him. He said, he, you know, son, come on in. Your brother's back. It's amazing. Wonderful time for us. And so the, the, the older son looks at his dad and is like, you know what? Look. All these years, I've been slaving for you. Now, that, those few words, I've got them nice and bold so you can see them. Those few words, we get a sneak peek in his heart. The, the curtain slides back just a little. All these years, I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Here we go again, another peek. You never gave me. Another little peek inside that heart. You never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, now this is when the curtains flies back and you get to see the heart. Here it is. He's disassociating himself from that other brother, right? He's pulling back. I don't want any part of that. This is your son. No heart, no love, no compassion. He is not getting, he is not getting the father's heart at all. And this shows the picture. This son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes. You know, at the beginning part of the story, it doesn't say anything about prostitutes, but this guy's mad and he goes right to the worst thing he can think of at the moment, right? Boom. <laughs> like, I just want you to know how bad your son is, right? There's no compassion. There's no love. There's no father's heart happening here. This we're seeing inside the dark places of the heart. I, I, I would venture to say the normal places of the heart, the natural places of the heart. He comes home and you kill a fatted calf for him. This is where I want to, uh, I, I want us to engage right here today. This is, this is where we're at. I want us to identify this, our need, need for fairness, our need for fairness, our, our need for a weighted balance of earned affection. A weighted balance of earned affection. If I do better than him, he'll love me more than him. Right? That, that need, we're wired this way. We want to make sure that everything is fair. And in it, if it's not fair, then there's a way that I can make, it, make the balances tip in my favor a little bit. So, so recognizing this, and why we're parking here for a minute is because when we, when we recognize this, this is our first recognition of the Father's love. This is the first recognition when Jesus 
talking about love starts to make a lot of difference for us. We start having a hard time wrapping our head around where he's going. But this is the beginning part of when this stuff starts to be expressed in our own life, and that is the goal. We want to be different. We want to love first. We want to know people to know that the reason why we love when others don't is because Jesus is inside. So this is where we start this journey. And so I mentioned this a moment ago in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. It says this, God is love. It makes the identifying marker. That's what, not just what he does. It's not just what he's about. It is who he is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? So that whosoever believes in him would not perish. But have ever, for God, it all starts because God is love. And Jesus came to reveal what that love looks like, which is why he's telling this story about the prodigal son and the father's heart and the father's love and representing all of this. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking here, and, and you, have to, you have to try to understand the time frame. We, we read the Bible through our own filters, but if we can sometimes... You can read little studies or listen to some people talk about it and you, that have done the research and you find out that if you can take the cultural context of when Jesus was saying some of these things and realize what it must have been like to hear it from their perspective, it'll blow your mind. I mean, he's talking to a bunch of Israelites who were oppressed. They were not free people anymore. The Romans governed them, controlled them. And, and what wasn't controlled by the Romans was controlled by the Sanhedrin, the religious construct of their day. These were not free people that could do whatever they wanted to do. Everything was controlled. Their religion was hard. Their life was hard. Everything was difficult. They were angry. They're all, they were just angry. They're, they were not the, living the lives that they wanted to live. And so Jesus starts talking this. He says... But to you who are listening, I say this, love your enemies. Okay, instantly in that moment, they're, first, they're going down the list. Roman people, I hate Roman people. I hate the Romans. And then I hate these people. And I hate my neighbor. And I hate the guy that Moses grass 630 on Saturday morning. They're going through their list of enemies. And Jesus continues to say, do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Oh, this guy. Pray for those who mistreat you. Okay, I don't know if I'm coming back to this church again. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. I'm definitely not coming back to this church again. Can't handle this kind of message. If someone takes your coat, okay, what's he going to say about that? Do not withhold your shirt from them. What is wrong with this man? Too much time in the desert. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, don't, don't fight to get it back. Just let him have it, the thing. Let him have it. Do to others as you would have them do to you. We're talking about different. This is different. <laughs> this is odd. This is weird. It doesn't matter what cultural context you put this in. It's still weird, right? This is just not how we are wired, are we? This is not how we are wired. And this is, this is when he brings the boom. You know, because Jesus sets everybody up, and then he just like, <laughs> whoa, I didn't see that one coming. He brings the boom. He says, if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? He says, even sinners, and in this context, it's non-Jews, unbelievers, infidels, 
right? That's their thinking. He says, he says, if you love people that love you, and everybody does that. That's normal. I'm saying there's something different, and it's called love first, not love easy. And he says, for those that do good to you, if you do good to them, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that as well. We can't begin to fully grasp the impact that Jesus' teaching is having at this moment. This is a culture that is quite literally eye for an eye. They lived according to a law that says, if I'm working with you and I accidentally lob your arm off, you can come lob mine off, and that's the way it works. Or if we get in a fight and I break your, yeah, if I break your nose, you get a free shot to break mine. They live in a culture that does not teach this kind of action. Their minds are literally blowing at the moment. There's a, it's a difficult environment. Jesus' instruction in Luke 6 is hard for us, even in today's world, maybe even more so in today's world, to wrap our head around because I, I feel like when we read that passage where Jesus is teaching about loving your enemies and, and if you love someone that loves you, what credit is that to you? I, I feel like when I'm reading that, when I was reading that, you know who I felt like in that moment? I felt like the older son. Right? I felt like the prodigal son's older brother. I didn't ha- I don't, this is not how I'm wired. I'm wired to, okay, if you do something wrong to me, at the very least, I'm going to put you in this column over here that says, avoid at all costs. I'm going to disassociate myself from the likes of you because you've wronged me. And Jesus is saying something completely completely different. Here's the thing. We, we, we kind of believe, and I'm, I'm saying we in the very real sense of the word, everybody, every one of us in this room, we, we have a tendency to kind of, you know, think we're doing well if we, you know, loving our families, even that strange Uncle Bob, we, we love him, you know, as best we can, and, and we love our church friends and family, and, and we even have that random one person that's like really stretching it, but we, we love them, you know, barely, but we do. And so we feel like we're doing pretty good, and, and, and we feel like we're doing okay because we're nice to other people, and, and, and you know, we, we say you, you can do better instead of calling them an idiot, right? We, we, feel, we feel good. We feel like we're, we're getting somewhere, and Jesus says that's what everybody else does. Pop, good feeling, gone. That was my goal. And he's like, no, there's something different. There's a step deeper. There's a step further. If, you, if I have called you pretending I'm Jesus here, if I have called you to be salt and light to a world that is tasteless and dark, then you've got to do something different to be that, right? Doesn't that make, logic just says that if if we're meant to be the light of the world, that means the world is dark. And in order to be the light, we've got to be different from everybody else. And so Jesus is saying, you absolutely must be different from everybody else. And this is one way that you have to be different. Everybody loves the people that are nice to them. Be the person that loves the person that's not nice to you. That's different. Love first is not the way we are wired. And, and so I, I'm just saying, right, this is difficult. Difficult. This year, for some reason, and, and God knows he just does what he does well. Glad he's God, not me. But this has been a personal journey for me this year. This, this whole concept 
of God's love and what that means and what it looks like. And, and you really, you can't, you can talk about it, you can think about it, and you can think you might do it. It's, it's like, I, I like to use this analogy or this story. You know, everybody talks about what would happen if. So, you know, the story of the guys on the train, the terrorists on the train, and they just, they take them out, right? Everybody, especially all the guys, right? We like to think that if that moment happened and I was there, like I would leap over buildings and I would take the guy out, right, with my bare hands. I would rip his head off. You know, you, you have all these fantastic ideas of being the hero in the story. But it's all fiction until the moment transpires. It's all hypothetical until you're faced with that moment. And the love of God is the same way. I would like to think I could love the unlovable. But then God in all of his wisdom puts me in a situation where I have to. And then what do I do? So this has been personal. There's someone very dear to me that was going through a very difficult time in a relationship. And I'm telling you, I was beyond angry. Like, it, nothing keeps me awake at night, okay? First of all, I can sleep through anything. This kept me up at night. I couldn't sleep. And what was really messed with me is I was having all of these, all of these thoughts of, of how I would love to just put this person away, like away, away, like underneath the grass away or in a dark hole away. What, I, all of these feelings and emotions, frustration, anger, hurt, just all of these things. And, and the, real, the real kicker is I, I could justify why. My feelings were merited. I could justify, I could make a strong case to everyone in this room, and everyone in this room would say, you know what, Andrew, you are right. You're exactly right. You have every right to feel how you feel. In fact, I will go with you and help you. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm telling you, I could sway this entire crowd to grab your pitchforks and your, and your torches, and let's go get the beast, right? It was so easy to justify and through all of that and talking to my friends, trying to get help through this, Jesus was talking to me. And I didn't particularly care for what he was saying to me because he was the one guy in the room that I couldn't justify and convince to take my case. He just kept asking me this question. Is that how I love you? And I didn't have an answer for that question <laughs> because in all of my justifying and all of my explanation, all of my perfect reasoning, I could not answer that question because I expect him to love me when I make mistakes. I expect Jesus to forgive me when I verbally tear down the people I love the most. In fact, it's almost like uh, a card that I have in my pocket, right? It's called the grace card. And I play it on God all the time. I got it. Right? You know what I mean? It's like the get out of free jail. You know, you love me. I'm one of your kids. You can't help but be mad at me. I expect these from him. And I, I'm, I've convinced myself that I'm, I'm a pretty good kid. So, so he'll, he'll let me off the hook. And I, I use this because I make mistakes. But when the tables were turned... 
I wanted to withhold my love. I wanted to withhold my forgiveness. I wanted to withhold all of those things because someone had hurt me. Someone had disappointed me. Someone had failed me. There was going to be a pound of flesh from somebody. So I'm telling you, this is a real, it's real for me. And I, I, I will also say there's no way that I'm ever going to buy the t-shirt that says, I accomplished this one. Because there's no way I'm ever going to accomplish this. My best hope is to let the Spirit of God work in me enough that I attempt to do this to the best of my ability every single day. And love first is the thing that pops in my head before my justification begins. If I can retrain my brain to love first, if I can, if I can run everything through that filter first, I, you know, in, instead of us going into that justification mode, you know, you know, someone says something to you and, and you don't have the right comeback at that moment and then you go to lunch later and, oh, oh, I got a good one. Oh, I wish I would have said it then. And then you got this whole loop in your head of, of you saying it to the person and the person's just like, oh, that was the worst thing. You, could have. you know, just the whole visual. You guys don't do that? Dude, I need to get help. <laughs> right? The whole thing is over and over in your mind, and you know the right thing to say that would just like, ah. Here's the question I wonder if we could start asking. Instead of all, when all that justification begins to happen, you're building your airtight case. What does love require of me? What does love require of me? You know, you watch those cop shows. And uh, you know the guy, the bad, they have the bad guy, and, and he's got a lawyer in the room, and the lawyer's slick, and then the, 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 the detective's in there, and he knows he's got to get the confession, and this is true, and he's like, they manage to get the lawyer out of the room, and they work him over, right? And you're like, yeah! Everybody wants that to happen to the other person until they're the one that needs the representation, and then all the rules change, Right? Maybe we need to remember where we were when we found the love of God for the first time in our life. Love first. Process first. What does love require of me before I start building my case against you? What does love ask of me? If, if, if God brought me to the throne room and said, okay, Andrew, you've got a moment here. You can either let this one go or I'm going to dig up all that stuff from the past that I have buried. <laughs> right? That's not a good deal. Uh, yeah. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, I'm going to unpack this verse. It's called the love chapter. If you can make it from verse number 8, I mean, I'm sorry, verse number 4 to verse number 8 without squirming, not sure you have a heart at all. <laughs> this one gets in our business. There's no way around it. It starts off by saying, love is patient. Well, I'm disqualified. I haven't even got past the first one. Even in traffic or in the line when the cashier is like, what has happened to this person's brain? Aliens have taken the cashier and they've swapped their brain with a cow and they stuck them back in the line, right? And you're like, what is going on? My wife has this whole theory. She has an entire theory about cashiers. And I always pick the wrong line, but she says, never pick a line with a guy in it, right? It always has to be ladies. They're faster. <laughs> the jury's still out, but I'm starting to, I'm starting to believe her. Love is kind, even when people are rude and hurtful. You'll notice if you go 
to your Bible later and you read one, chapters 1 through 12 and all the uh, subsequent chapters after, there's never a qualification to this. So just so you know, I'm not pulling this out of context. It just is what it is. <laughs> there's no, you have a clause to avoid this if. There's none of those in there. It does not envy even when the coworker gets promoted over you. It does not boast even when it seems like no one has noticed what you've done. It is not proud even when you have the right to be. In case you haven't noticed, I'm adding context in here. It does not dishonor others, even if they clearly aren't the same status as you are and you feel they are beneath you. It is not self-seeking, even when we are trained and taught to look out for number one. It is not easily angered. Even though you feel it's your right and you are perfectly justified. The interesting thing about that is it doesn't say it is not angered. It said it's not easily angered, which makes it even harder. It keeps no record of wrongs. If you're married, <laughs> this is where you tap out. <laughs> this is the hardest part of the whole... I mean, I've got a nice leather-bound list. No, I'm kidding. It's in calligraphy. Like, it's not <laughs> well documented. My wife's not here. I can't tease her. Maybe she's watching online. But here's the deal, right? This one's hard because we just can't help ourselves. I mean, I try to forgive and forget, but the forget part is really hard to do. And so when, when it happens again, I, it just comes back naturally. I can't help it, right? Just automatically think about it. But it says it keeps no wreck. In other words, you can, if the person keeps doing the same thing over and over, you really are not supposed to hold that charge against them. That whole forgiveness thing, yeah, we probably should think about that. Love does not delight in evil. Okay, I, can, I think I can handle this one. Except, you know, I love when, I love when they get what's coming to them, you know. They, they did me wrong, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> right? Like, ooh, told you. Right? You know, karma, people call it all kinds of things. You know, when you just, you, you're just, oh, that's so terrible. And you're like, yes. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I knew it. They deserved it. Bye. It rejoices with the truth. It always protects, even when the person that needs protecting doesn't deserve it. Here's a tough one. It always trusts, even when they have been untrustworthy. And here's a powerful one. It always hopes even when things seem impossibly dark and hopeless. It always perseveres. Even when you've tried and tried and tried, you're exhausted, you just don't feel like it anymore. And then verse 8, just it, it drives the whole thing home. It just says love never fails. It just doesn't fail. Because God doesn't fail, and God is love, and the love that we understand in this world is so far away and far removed from the love of the Father that we have to go through an entire internal process to try to unlearn what we've been taught to learn something entirely new because we are not ordinary. We are different because we are following Christ and it is always love first. It will always be love first. It was love that kept him on a cross so that you and I would have redemption. 
And there's not a situation I don't believe that I've ever ran into that this passage of Scripture does not filter out all of my justifications, does not filter out all of my, I have a good case here. It just eliminates all of them. And living that kind of love is not for the weak at heart. It's difficult. It might be the most difficult thing that God asks us to do. When you've been offended, love first. When someone has wronged you, love first. When you feel like you're alone and you're by yourself and you have no friends and you have no companions, love first. When you see someone that's struggling with their life, love first. When, when, when someone's actions just don't make sense and, and you know they're making stupid decisions, they're headed for disaster, what's the answer? Just, just love first and ask questions later. Just let them know there's somebody in this massive world that loves me enough to care for me. Had a recent experience. I'm not going to give you a lot of details, but there was a guy I was talking to. His life was a wreck. And we had talked for a while, and he asked, he, he was just at his wit's end. And I said, you know what, dude, I, I have, I don't know what you're, I can't wrap my mind around what you're going through. I have no points to compare. I don't, I don't even understand how you're breathing. Is it okay if I just pray because it's the only thing I know to do? So we prayed. And at the end, he looks at me and says, you know, all the people that are helping me and all the things I'm going through, no one has ever asked if they would just pray with me. I didn't do anything magnificent. I just didn't know what else to do. But if love first can be the answer, I'm telling you, we have a promise that says it never fails. So if everything I can do is going to possibly fail, this is one thing that will not fail. Let's try this one first. Let's try love first. Worship team, you guys can come. Jesus talking to his disciples at a very critical moment in, in time. He says, listen, guys. He's like, I, I'm, I'm establishing a new commandment for you. I want you to do something that may sound easy right now, but it's going to be tested. It's going to be tried. It's going to be difficult. I just want you to do this. I just want you to love one another. Just like I, and this is where he, man, he can set a bar high, y'all. Because <laughs> in that room, not one of those people was about to go hang on a cross for anybody else in that room. Right? You got to understand context. In those days, crucifixions were a normal thing. Brutal execution. They lived under fear of that all the time. And Jesus said, I want you to, one commandment I'm leaving you. I want you to love one another. And I want you to love this way, like I have loved you. And they're like, sure, that's easy. I got it. I can love this guy like that. Until fast forward some days and weeks, and they see Jesus gasping for breath, hanging on a Roman cross. And then this thought comes back to their mind. I don't know if I'm able to do that. I don't know if I am able to do that. But then Jesus doesn't leave us alone. He says, don't worry. I've got my spirit that's going to empower you to love like I love. And he said, you know what's going to be the identifying mark that you're Christ followers? It's not the fish on your donkey, right? It's how you love people. It's how you love each other. It's when people look at you from the outside, filled with rage and hate, 
and distrust and all the things that hurt causes our hearts to become. And they look and they see a group of people that just manage to love anyway. They just manage to love when they're done wrong. They just manage to love because they're and, and their family's in chaos. They, they just manage to love people that, that nobody else really cares much about. I mean, in case you haven't noticed around here, we have very high standards. Like, I don't know how we all got in this room because we have a high bar. You know, we're like the elite here. <laughs> the moment they let me in the room, it changed. He's the one that sets the standard. And if we're all created in his image, I mean, I can't tell if God's good looking or ugly. <laughs> we're all created in his image. Man, everybody, 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 everybody deserves a shot at getting loved. Everybody does. So what if we, what if we rewrote that prodigal son story? And what if it looked like this? What if the older brother was the star of the story? What if the older brother, we read that his brother left and he's like, Dad, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I know this is breaking your heart. I, I, I can't accept. I'm going to cash my inheritance in, if you don't mind, because I'm chasing my younger brother because he's on a wrong path. And I love my younger brother more than I love the safety of where I'm living, more than I'm stuck following the rules and regulations of this household, more than I am stuck to my obligations. There's something bigger. It is, after all, the same God, the same story where Jesus talks about a shepherd who has 99 of 100 sheep safe in the fold. But guess what he does? He goes chasing the one. I mean, that's not that bad of a loss. One out of a hundred, that's okay. No, it's never okay. If there's still one, there's still one. What if the story would have read that the, the older brother packs his bags and he heads off to New York City and he's hunting his younger brother and he finds his younger brother and he says, you know what, younger brother? Come back home. You're making a mistake. And the younger brother's like, dude, what are you doing here? I left home because I didn't want to be around you. Didn't you get that? I don't want to see you. Get out of my life. And older brother doesn't leave. He rents an apartment across the street. Younger brother avoids him. Older brother stays there anyway. Spending his own money. Waiting, waiting, waiting for the moment. Then he gets the call. Dude, have you seen, have you seen younger brother? I hear he's working for a pig farmer. I'm going to go find him. What if the story would have read like that? And what if it was the older brother that found him in the pig pen and said, dude, you don't have to live like this anymore. No, I'll go away. I'm fine. <laughs> know what I mean? I'm good. I'm good. I got this. You don't got this. You're in a pig pen fighting for food. I'm here. I got you. What if it would have been that way? What if finally when dad looks down the street, older brother's got younger brother around the arm and he's dragging him home because younger brother's just spent. Come on. That's the story. That's the story. I want to leave you with this thought. You can stand. This, this thing stuck in my spirit and heart today. There's no denying that God loves everyone, right? Would we all agree to that? God loves everybody just as much as he loves you. He loves everybody else. But let me, let me just drop this in your mind. The love that God has for others is oftentimes only revealed through us.
That's why we're talking about being different. Because there's somebody today in your circle or very close to your circle, the only connection to God's love they will ever know is the love that you demonstrate to them today. Love first every time because love does not fail. It will not fail. It cannot fail because God cannot fail.